Welcome, everyone, to Authors on the Air. I'm your host, Pam Stack. We're proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. It is my honor to be interviewing my first Agatha nominee for the season. Uh, Gabriel Valjean has been a guest on this show before, especially interesting because uh, we discussed the book that he was nominated for. Um, But let me tell you a little bit about him. He is the author of two series, The Roma series and the company files um dirty old town is a new book this is his new series with a new publisher um his short stories have appeared online in journals and in several anthologies um he's been a finalist for the fish fries shortlisted for the bridgeport prize received an honorable mention in the Nero wolf black orchid novella contest and he claims he lurks the hallways at crime fiction conferences such as BoucherCon, <laughs> Malice Domestic, and New England Crime Bake. He is a lifetime member of Sisters in Crime. I'm thrilled to welcome back to the show, Gabriel Valjean. Hi, Gabriel. How are you? Hi, Pam. Thanks for having me. It's great to be back. It's, thank you. It's my pleasure. And congratulations on your Anthony, nom- your Agatha nomination. Um, I, oh, thank uh, you. What a wonderful, wonderful thing to happen to a writer, and um, it couldn't have happened to a better gentleman. Uh, you are in the best historical mystery category, along with um, with four other authors, Reese Bowen, Susanna Calkins, Laurie Chandler, Edith Maxwell, and yourself for the naming game. Right. Um, you, I, I would be hard pressed to say who I was would vote for had, had I been at the event and having to make a, a, a vote on that. I just don't know how I would do it <laughs> because no, there are so many great authors. I agree. I agree. And uh, I, I really can't tell you how surprised and honored I was because I opened up the email in the middle of the night. You know, sometimes I, get up and you know I can't sleep and I did a double take I I really <laughs> thought I misread everything and I thought it was a mistake and then it was like the next morning I was walking around stunned <laughs> um, because like you said I mean it, it's a it's a category with some great writers um, and historical mysteries I think you know do have a broad appeal for people so yeah. it was just you know really really wonderful um some of the authors, you know, with me have been nominated for Agathas before or have, taken, or have, or have actually gotten Agathas. So uh, I feel like I'm in great company. You are, absolutely, and they are in your great company. So um, oh, let's you. talk about the naming game while we're talking about the Agathas so that um, listeners will know a little bit about that book that you're nominated for. And by the way, just so you know, books that came out last year are in this year's awards. So it cannot right. be. So in other words, Dirty Old Town is not is not going to be uh, uh Included eligible, in any right. nominee, right? It's not eligible for any of the awards that are handed out this year. Let's talk about the naming game because that was um, part of the company files series. So, would you tell listeners a little bit about the naming game? Sure. So, um, the naming game came out last May. I was actually at Malice when it came out, and it's the second in a series with Winter Goose Publishing. This particular uh, outing has the same characters I had in the first book, but they are now in L.A. It's 1951. Um, 
the story is about a team of people that are um, basically CIA agents. This was in the very early days of the CIA. And what they're trying to solve here is there's a murdered screenwriter. And what it turns out is that uh, things are not what they seem. Um, L.A. at the time was very busy with the Hollywood studios, but also dealing with the McCarthy era or, or, or McCarthy's you know, witch hunt. So essentially right. a, lot of the screen, a lot of the screenwriters had to be vetted. Um, they were interviewed. They were um, questioned. They, they went before, some of them went before the House of American Committees. And uh, some of them were blacklisted. But interestingly enough, even though some were blacklisted, a lot of them still continued to write for the studios. The What they did was they cre- created pseudonyms. So they wrote under an alias, um, you know, like writers do today. Some writers do that for different series. Right. So um, it's really, you know, a story uh, hopefully – gives you a slice of life of what the Hollywood studio system was like because Hollywood's very different today. And also just to give you a taste of what it was like to deal with the, um, the movie moguls, to deal with McCarthy's men, and also to make people aware uh, at this time that uh, Hoover and, and the FBI were also after communists. But Hoover was a little bit more... Um, Power driven, he did not like you know the CIA. The CIA was basically founded in 1948. Uh, Hoover was the type of man that wanted to control everything. So um, one of the things you learn in, throughout the novel is um, William Parker, who was the head of the uh, Los Angeles Police Department, was one of the first people in law enforcement to start creating a database. Uh, because they had no way of tracking people if they went across state lines. Hoover himself came to power as somebody who was a master at databases, but he did it primarily with fingerprints. So um, hopefully, uh, you know, readers can get to see uh, a little bit of the glamour. Um, I try to make it moody, um, enjoyable. I don't think it's dark, dark. But uh, it, I think it has its element where it can be sinister when you start thinking through about censorship, deception, uh, who's telling the truth, who's not, and dealing with blackmail. Yeah. So that's the um, game. Was, was, this sounds like it was a very research-intensive book for you. It was. Um, some, of, some of the research things – research tools that I had somewhere online. There's a lot of wonderful things online like uh, maps, phone books. So you can get right. the idea of how they did their phone because back then they didn't do strictly numbers. They didn't exchange usually with a uh, number of a place or a neighborhood. But when mm-hmm. I was writing it, I wanted to make sure that I was accurate. Um, clubs moved. Um, I had There was one nightclub that I I went insane trying to figure out the name it changed names several times, then it moved different blocks and then moved back to its original block. So I wanted to make sure I was accurate where it was in nineteen fifty one. Um I also had to do research the films. Uh I do mention some films in the book and I also had to find out who actually wrote them. 
Um, a good example was uh, Casablanca. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of people don't know who the writers were behind that. Um, it, it's it was it was a lot of research, but it was a lot of fun. And then once I had the drafts, I had to keep keep constantly checking to make sure you know that I was uh, accurate. I'm sure somebody out there will find will point out something I did wrong, but sure, it, it was still. And then you know another type of research that I did was um, Pinterest has a lot of stuff where I, you know, I was trying to look at the fashion, so I would look at what was in style and then just use my imagination, in my own words, describe what I was looking at. It was it was it was a lot of fun, um, and you you learn a lot about things that were different, uh, the do's and don'ts of fashion and etiquette what women were allowed to do, weren't allowed to do. Um, mm-hmm. But it was fun. And you teach yourself a lot of stuff too. Yeah. It's one thing if you're making up a fictitious city, uh, but when you are talking about actual events, even though you're using them in, in a fiction novel, you're right that you will hear from someone who says, Oh no, you know, that designer wasn't around at that time or something like that. So, right. Um, so you know it, it does pay to do the research. Uh, I know that um, a lot of a lot of books I read they just have a, a an unknown city and um, tell you whereabouts it is. I, I just was reading a book that was supposedly set in Southwest Florida where I live, and I recognized a lot of the names of the of the right. places, but that it was a f- fictitious town, but it could have been right in my city for all I know, you know, that's how crazy it is. Um, well, congratulations again for Thank the you. naming game, the nomination on, on, and the Agatha there. Uh, you, I want to ask you a little bit about you before we start talking about the new book. Um, did sure. you always want to, did you want to be a writer all your life, Gabriel? Have you been a writer all no. your life? No, no, I haven't. Um, Quite honestly, I didn't start writing until I was in my early 40s. Um, mm-hmm. At at this, that particular time, I was working as a nurse. Um, I had basically the way my schedule was, I worked uh, long shifts, long hours, up to Thursday, and then I had Friday, Saturday, and Sunday off. And, wow. And, you know, I just – I felt really out of sync, and – one day I just decided, you know, I wanted to sit down and write a short story, you know, just see if I can do it. Um, and I did, and it was a lot of fun. And what I did for a year was I, I wrote a short story every week, um, just, you know, to kind of like exercise myself and see where my imagination took me. Eventually I decided I wanted to try a novel. Um, and and Basically, your first novel, you just kind of stick in the drawer somewhere and forget about it. Because <laughs> it's kind of, you know, it's it's an exercise in running a marathon. You just want to go right. across the finish line. Right. Um, I submitted my, I think it was my second story. I submitted to Fish, and I got shortlisted, and basically fell out of the chair when that happened. Um, and then I, you know, I just I started realizing it was a lot of fun. Uh, I know there's a lot of writers that have been talking about, you know, wanting to be a writer since they were a child. Yeah. I wasn't that way. Uh, I enjoyed reading a lot. And I think what helped me when I finally decided to do writing was I had decades of reading. I knew what I yes. liked. 
and I knew what I didn't like. I also was aware of what didn't work for me, what did work for me, what held my attention. And I think because of, I think because of my various jobs, I developed organizational skills and structure and structure and pacing. I, I feel come natural to me. And then, you know, I'll write a, I'll write a story or I'll write the novel, do a draft, get it, get everything down and then really work hard at revising and editing it. Wow. And, yeah. uh, I think your life experiences, being a reader is absolutely critical to write life like you said, organizational skills and things like that really play a part in it too because if you're reading a book, you really are a slave to your own work. You you are your task master, master as well. So you don't have – unless you're on a deadline, you know, where you're writing – for a big publishing house and they say, okay, I need your book, you know, in eight months or whatever it is. And you've got to get out one or two a year. You have to be guiding your own small business essentially. Right. Right. And I, I, to be honest, I never had a problem with this discipline. Um, I've always been a disciplined person and, you know, uh, I've always been consistent. You know, I, I know sometimes, um, you know, writers, you know, talk about, you know, being afraid to write or they kind of resent it. Um, and I think they say that because they're they're afraid that they're going to sit in the desk and look at the screen and nothing's going to come. Um, I, fortunate, fortunately for me, I can't say I have that problem. I sit down and I write. Um, I'm a lot harder on myself than anybody else can be. I mean, not all the time is it good. There are times when it just sucks. But I right. really do enjoy sitting down and writing. I really enjoy taking an idea and seeing where I can go with it. Um, and I'm also brutally honest with myself about what I think works and doesn't work. And when I look to revise it, I I welcome constructive criticism because when you sit down and write something, a lot of times you're so close to it, there are things you can't see for better or right. for worse. Uh, And somebody else can help you with that. Um, So, for example, in editing both books, The Naming Game and Dirty Old Town, I dealt with an editor who liked the scene, but they they asked me to add a little bit more because they thought this would flesh out the scene, whether it was color. Um, And I looked at it, and they were right. that, That scene or that chapter needed it. And I look at editors as people who can see things that you can't but ultimately they want a better book and that's what you that's what you need to concentrate you 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 put the ego aside you don't get defensive about anything you know because the bottom line is when a reader gets a book and they open up the book that's it that that has to speak to them you're not there to say oh this is what i meant you know or this right 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 you know it's it's there and it has to work or it doesn't. So um, you said when you get an idea, you have no problem sitting down and, and starting that idea. Where do you where do you think your ideas come from? Um, I I don't know. I think different times it's different things. Uh, sometimes it's something subliminal, I guess. You know, something I've been thinking about. 
Other mm-hmm. times, um, and this is the crazy part, but you know, sometimes I'll be sitting on the subway and I'll hear somebody say something, and it's you know normal conversation, but it just strikes me very odd, or it's like, oh, that's a really great line, <laughs> and then you make right. up a story around it. Um, well, they I mean, they do say that writers are the snoopiest of people. You know, you you're always people watching, listening to what people say, and um, the the most innocent of of conversations can become very sinister if you are sitting there, a writer. <laughs> so, well, the other you know, I, the other thing I find the other thing I find really interesting is watching people. You know, whether you're on a train or yep. you're in a cafe, uh, watching people and I think part of this, um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, being a nurse, you you have to look at people and see what they don't know. And that could be related to a disease or an illness, but a lot of times you um, find that what they're telling you doesn't match with what their body is saying to you. Right. So it's – and I – you know, you're not trying to accuse them of being a liar, but essentially, you know, for whatever reason, they may not be telling the truth because they're embarrassed or whatever. But right. I always find it interesting that do the words match the body language? Yeah, yeah, I imagine. Um, so I'm fascinated by that, and it's good to know that you still enjoy it. Um, I, I, I speak to a lot of people who say, oh, God, i got to sit down and write my book, you know. I always ask, is it, do you like the beginning or the end? And everyone says they like the end, but um, <laughs> I, I don't like stories that end. I, I want to, if I like a book, I want the story to go on, um, which I guess is why I read a lot of series too. But, but I'm always excited when I crack open the spine of a new book. And, and um, I, if they grab me in the first couple pages, I'll read the book straight through. And I was just saying this the other night to someone. I can't remember who I was talking to, but I'm one of those people that if I like one book and there are prior books, I'm the one who's going back and, like, buying all the books and then reading them in order that they were published, whether they're standalones or not. It's interesting to me to see how uh, writing styles change. When you look back at the very first book, well, your second book that um, right. that you got the fish for, uh, or you know, involved in that one. Do you see a change in your writing style, or the way you write, or your, um, you know, is your writing cleaner, crisper? Is it more colorful? Well, you know, what do you notice I think, about um, your writing? Depending on the series, you know, depending on what I'm doing or what I would like to do. I have seen a change. When I first started the Roma series, um, which goes back and forth between uh, the United States and Italy, I mm-hmm. found that in my first book, you know, a lot of writers will tell you that they sometimes hate their first book because they they see all the things that they could have done better, but they couldn't have at, at the time because now they have more experience. Sure. So it's right. all a matter of hindsight. I found in my first book, which – there are things I like, and I I felt that I was overly descriptive at times, and I was worried that I was slowing down the pace. But when I write something like the naming game, 
you know, mm-hmm. because it's Hollywood and you're dealing with people who are very hyper about language because they're screenwriters, I found that I was very attentive and I tried to say the most with the least, which I think um, – I guess it's minimalism, but I think it requires a certain amount of elegance because you have to be very particular about your diction and your dialogue has to be crisp. I mean, people will, if you took down or recorded what people actually say, people, you know, talk in fragments, they talk not with proper grammar. So you try to, you try to be authentic, but yet you, you, the the thing that should be seamless to a reader is, you know, they they they're reading the passage, they should know who's talking. You know, that's that's one of the earlier I think mistakes or one of the things you first learn as a writer is you start you know really honing your dialogue and making sure that um, everybody you know that you know who's speaking. Sometimes you do that with tags, and sometimes you you get a real good passage where. You don't have any tags, and it just flows. Right. I mean, you see that you see that with like Elmore and Leonard, um, right? But you know, getting yeah. back to you know to like being descriptive. I mean, I I like James Lee Burke. I mean, he he has these incredibly uh, lyrical passages where you just you know you feel the landscape. Um, I'm not James Lee Burke, but I try to be descriptive of the Italian landscape because I know that's something people don't see. When I wrote the first Company Files book, uh, The Good Man, I tried Mm -hmm. to describe Vienna because that's where the story was set and it was post-war, different time period. Um, But I I would like to think I've gotten better, um, but the joy has always been there, you know. I just, I like having a lot of fun with it. And it's a wonderful feeling to write a story and get to the end and, yeah. and feel like you've created you've created an experience for somebody. Absolutely. Well, it it certainly is for me. I I mean, I've you know, reading to me takes me places that if I've been there, gives me good memories. If I haven't been there, makes me want to go. Even if it's in fantasy, right. science fiction, romance, or or you know, murder mystery thrillers. Um, and I'm glad that you like James Lee Burke. He comes every year when he has a book at his next book, um, comes out in yes. May and he, he May, will yep. be on the show. Yeah. And so, um, I'm, I'm thrilled. And I, I actually like Elmore Leonard's books very much. When I first started reading mysteries, um, I was really addicted to his books. And so, um, uh, you know, I'm of, of the same frame of mind that you are, and and he he had an economy of words, I think, and so that was really a lot of fun. Now, um, you just recently participated in um, in write in a horror anthology. That um, yes, who's who started that idea? Horror USA California from an anthology okay. of horror from um, the Golden State. That. Um... I found a call online and I've always wanted to try horror and the, that was the theme. They, they wanted a story that had something to do with the golden state. And I think it was Solterra press and they put out the call, you know, I think it was like three to 5,000 words. So I right. actually wrote a story about a newspaper, a young newspaper 
uh, reporter who gets like the interview of a lifetime uh, with with this woman who is this you know uh, glamorous actress who comes from like a long dynastic family like the Barrymores or or the Fondas, and he gets the exclusive and it's kind of you know. He's the, he's relatively new in the office, so everybody's like, "Wow, you know, this guy landed the interview." So he goes to uh-huh. see her, and I try to uh, create a story that's more subtle in the horror. It's you know, not uh, supernatural creatures or anything like that, right. you know, monsters. But um, I, you know, I take you up into the Hollywood Hills, and things are not what they seem. But he does get to interview her. I threw in some Hollywood history. Uh, I'm a big, big fan of Carol Lombard and the screwball comedies of the 30s. Oh, yeah. So he gets to talk to her, and uh, this life starts, you know, about midway through it, he started realizing that things are going sideways. And, um, you know, the anthology, I think, you know, is now uh, available through Amazon. Yes, so it is. generally, I... Like I said, I I responded to the call because that's that's another thing I enjoy doing is I'll look for calls for short stories and it's a challenge for me. You know, I don't look at myself primarily as a horror writer, um, but I thought you know let's see if I can do it, and I did, and fortunately it was accepted. Um, so that was a lot of fun. But you know, I've done. Well, you uh, started calls off. For, you you started Start, off writing uh, short stories, right? So, right. so it, it makes sense. I know that you've done you you were in Dark Yonder, um, the one yes. inspired by by Eric Pruitt's Yonder um, Bar in North Carolina, and you did one for yes. Malice, and you've done one for uh, New England, and then Snowbound, and West and Windward. So you've done a lot of anthologies, which is really lovely. But I do want to talk to you now about Dirty Old Town, because this okay. is a brand new series for you, um, and it introduces us to Shane Cleary. So yes. give us uh, the elevator pitch on this, and uh, because Shane, as I understand, is a private investigator, correct? He's a private investigator, yes, and um, essentially he's broke. He was a former cop. He was kicked off from the. He was kicked off of the Boston Police Department. Um, you can find out why in the story. And he, like I said, he's broke. He needs money. He gets a case, but the case turns out to be for uh, working for the husband of his ex-girlfriend, the the woman who basically stomped on his heart when he was a teenager, and he. Her husband essentially believes that he's being blackmailed, and the story takes place in Boston in 1975. Now, the thing I did differently here is that uh, people who have read Boston crime fiction, uh, you know, they deal with Robert Parker, who did, sure, you know, Boston and the outlying area. Uh, George Higgins did Boston, Quincy. Dennis Lehane did mostly South Boston. What I chose to do certainly was Boston, but I also concentrate on Boston South End, which is oh, the very Southeast. different. Yes, it's very it's different not, it's than not being South, in. Yeah, it's a very it's very different from Lehane territory. So yes, it is. Uh, Southie, 
southeast, basically, uh, Bolshev territory. Um, the south end was from, let's say, Prohibition onward, was a very uh, eclectic neighborhood, multi-ethnic. Uh, this was the place you went to go for jazz clubs, uh, for yep. dancing, um, if you wanted you know, uh, to meet Latinos or experience Latin culture, uh, African-Americans. Everybody got along. Uh, there was also Greek. Now, as time went on, the South End kind of deteriorated. By the 70s, it was really dodgy. Um, it was a place where you went to score drugs. There's a lot of prostitution. Um, now it's it's all gentrified. So I decided to write about this neighborhood because I didn't see a lot of people in the Boston crime fiction community writing about it. It's also where I happen to live. So I'm more or less writing about my backyard, but you know, well, there you go. That's that's fine. There's something like that. I want to read this um, blurb. Uh, Robert B. Parker would stand and cheer, and George V. Higgins would join the ovation. This is a terrific book. Tough, smart, spare, and authentic. Gabriel Valjean is a true talent, impressive and skilled, providing a knockout prose, a fine-tuned sense of place, and sleekly wry style that from my friend hank Philippi ryan who is also up for an agatha for the third list and um dennis palumbo also a friend who said it hits every pitch out of the park it's smart funny and consistently surprising a great read so you um you have had some heavy hitters there praising you on this book and i suspect that come nomination times at the end of the year um a dirty old town is going to be right, right up back there again, w- with all hope. I hope so. Uh, tell everyone where they can find you on the web and social media, please. Sure. So I'm on social media. I'm on Twitter, and the call sign or the call handle is G V A L J A N. I have a website. It's www.gabrielvaljon.com. Um, I also have a WordPress uh, blog. It's called gabrielswarf.wordpress.com. Um, and I have uh, Instagram. You're on Insta. But, yeah. I ha- I'm on Insta, but the, the thing there is I only do dogs. Um, I take pictures even of dogs in the south end. Even What's though that? you're a cat man, even though you're a cat man, you take pictures of dogs. Yeah. The, the cat doesn't know it. <laughs> Uh, there's a dog park oh, about two blocks away from me, and uh-huh. I my Insta handle, which is um, it's it's basically my my name all at once, you know, Gabriel Valjean, uh-huh. and and or you can do the hashtag search and look for dogs of South End, South End, Boston. Oh my gosh, that's funny. So that's I have hundreds funny. of uh, dogs. <laughs> well, I also want to say another thing, and and. Uh, I know that you support other writers by reviewing and promoting their work all the time. You are so kind. And and I say this purely because it's true. When this network published Betrayed the Anthology, 
I think yes. you were the first person to write a review, and you were very honest and very kind, and I appreciate that very, very much. But I also yes. know that you write reviews like they're going out of style. So, therefore, friends, when you buy Dirty Old Town or any of Gabriel's other books, please go and leave a review, even if it's just 10 words saying, wow, I really like this book a lot. I, I'm going to read some more by this author. That's all you have to do, and, and, and reviews make a big difference. Gabriel Valjean, it has been a pleasure speaking to you again. I am oh, thank you. thrilled for you for the nomination. I'll be looking forward to um, – to the announcements, I uh, you know hopefully someone will be videoing and they'll be posting, so I know. But um, good luck with it, and thank you for coming back to Authors on the Air. Oh, thank you for having me. It was wonderful talking to you again. Thank you, thank you so much, Gabriel, and listeners. Thank you so much for being with me. I look forward to talking to you again soon, and thank you, Mom and Dad. I'll see you later. Bye bye. Okay. Bye bye. Mm-hmm.